TheYeshiva.net. So welcome everybody, and thank you so much for gracing us this Thursday morning. Chof Hey Shvat Tovshin Pei Beis, the 25th of Shvat, 5782, January 27th, 2022. I want to dedicate this class in loving memory and Leila Nishmas of my dear beloved grandmother, whose yard site is today. Her name was Taibel Lipsker, Luba Alta Taiba Bas Rav Ezreal. Shalom Chaim Baruch, the wife of my grandfather, Rabbi Yankel Lipsker, dedicated by children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. This is my mother's mother, who's uh, Mrs. Taiba Lipsker, who's yard set us today, Tehenish Masat Sruda, Hachayim. If you watched my Hanukkah clips, I sent out a clip about her dancing at weddings. You may have remembered the story. And may her uh, righteousness and light continue to serve as an eternal source of light and inspiration, a blessing for all of her mishpacha, her entire family, all of us, and all of the Jewish people. Thank you. So, I hope today we will finish the Maimer, V'chal Ha'am Royim Esakoylas V'salapidim from Torah Eir Parshas Yisrei. We already had three classes on the Mimer, and today we continue with class number four. If you haven't opened your source sheets, please open your source sheets. If you're in Zoom, I put it in the chat. If you're on the yeshiva.net, you have the source sheets right there. I'm also going to make a commercial for the Tuesday women's class. We had a class this Tuesday morning, and uh, it was on Parshas Bishpatim. The title is, It's Not the Trauma or the Sin. It's the shame that destroys. You are a borrower, but the owner never left you. And we took one of the halachas, one of the laws of Parshas Mishpatim, the laws of the borrower, which has a very nuanced and strange, apparently strange halacha about it, the law of the borrower, and actually explained not just the legal significance, but the spiritual significance. And it shows you how one technical law in a parsha really contains within it the DNA of the whole Torah and contains within it a life-transforming paradigm that elevates and enhances a person's life. So I would just suggest it. I got an email this morning from a teacher. He's a sixth grade teacher and he teaches this Gemara because the boys in sixth grade start learning Gemara, fifth grade, sixth grade. And these are the pieces of Gemara that they start learning. And he says, you know, he's teaching it for many, many years, but he's always been teaching it as a technical law about a borrower who borrows an animal and the animal gets injured, or, you know, you borrow something and the thing gets lost or gets destroyed, and what are the responsibilities of the borrower? And he says, and now suddenly he heard the whole spiritual background behind it, and he's so excited to bring that to the classroom. So that was very meaningful because... When we can teach sixth graders not just the law, but the spirit of the law, and not just the halachas, which are, of course, critical, but also to be able to experience a relationship with God, with Judaism, in an emotional, 
deep, authentic way. It's, it's life-changing for these children. When we can help them you know, see themselves with more clarity and work through their emotions with more clarity as, as children who, who are innocent and pure and reflect Hashem's light in their love and in their heart, it really is life-changing because that's the future. So I would suggest that class, if you have time, as usual, triple speed. If it's too fast, you could do double speed. If it's still too fast, you could do 1.75. And if you really like me, you could do regular speed. But I wouldn't suggest that. It's too long. Baruch Although the Bezriel says that you're not allowed to do a, a sheer more than one speed because it's music and you don't listen to music on double speed. But that already, that's for each person to decide. <laughs> okay, so, Ayin Dalit, column two. Please open your source sheets. As I said, Ayin Dalit, column two, or page 147. We are up to the second paragraph on the page. It begins, V'nachzer le'inyoneinu. V'nachzer le'inyoneinu. He says, let's get back to our subject. Not a regular term in a mimer. Let's get back to the subject. Since this mimer went off on a, I'm not going to say on a tangent, because it's all part of one cohesive, comprehensive idea. But he went to discuss various topics, so he says we're going to come back. What did we learn last time? We spoke about Ratzoi, we sp- it started off about the Shaifer. And from the Shaifer he went into the concept of Matan Taira. Matan Taira by the Avais, which was spiritual, and then it became physical. And he started to explain the whole concept of Ratzoi and Shaif, Halaych v'Nasoyah HaNegba, at length. And now each Ratzoi brings to a deeper Shuv, and then the Shuv brings to a deeper Ratzoi, which brings to a deeper Shuv, and it's the balance of fire and water, Oyser Shalom Imraimov. And then the giving of the Torah allowed this to be experienced through the concrete manifestation of Torah and Mitzvahs, and he explained at length how Torah and Mitzvahs are a hybrid, are synthesis of fire and water. Explained at length Rabbi Akiva's words to his mystic colleagues, Al Taimru Mayim Mayim, don't say water, water. <laughs> Somebody wrote to me, he says, the sheer about don't say water, water was out of this world. And then he realized that that expression is contrary to the whole class. Because Rabbi Akiva was saying, don't say water, water, right? Don't say out of this world. So he says, but it was also in this world. <laughs> so that was a very nice, uh, very nice comeback, right? It was out of this world, but it was in this world. Don't separate the higher waters from the lower waters. An incredible insight of the Alter Rebbe. And then, Mitzvahs also have the fire, the fire, the, the gvura, the tzimtzum, the structure and the discipline, and the timing, and it's the it's the synthesis of Eish and Mayim that's manifested in every mitzvah and in all of Torah, which is basically the concrete manifestation of Ratzay and Shoiv, because Ratzay is fire and Shoiv is water. And the Chiddush of Matan Torah is that the arousal from below, the behavior of a person down here in the physical world creates an creates an arousal from above that the mitzvah is conferred on the physical material reality. The title mitzvah is conferred on a physical reality that this action and this matter has the power to access the light of infinity. 
Why then was the Torah not given to Avram physically? And from here, he went into a whole discussion. The last paragraph, this was the topic of Shir number three. How the physical mitzvah that's usually performed in something that is doimim, tzemeach, inorganic matter, organic matter, vegetation, or the living animal, as he gave all the examples from offerings and tefillin and tzitzis and really every mitzvah, how that has the power to access the light of infinity. And he explained at length how the vitality of God that is invested in the various physical substances that we encounter, whether it's in the earth, whether it's in produce, whether it's in the living organisms of animals, really comes from a deeper place. It comes from a much higher place, and that's why we need food. We live off food. Every person needs food to replenish them. The food becomes the fuel of our organisms, and the reason is because the food has divine energy. A person also has divine energy. But the food has an energy that's even deeper than the person. On the other hand, they went through what's called the process of shiris akalim, of breaking of the vessels, and that's why it assumes a very physical incarnation, and it can schlep you down. It can even become an addiction. It's binging can become an addiction. But even if it's not an addiction, he says even the tzaddik, who's eating with with purpose and meaning, still you can't compare it to Moshe Rabbeinu not eating forty days on the mountain. He wouldn't even eat man because the Torah is even beyond that, and he explains how in the time of Avram, the physical matter of the world was not yet translucent enough to be able to absorb the light of infinity, that the physical could be called a mitzvah until the Jews went through the whole Egyptian experience, and he compared it to a crucible. We spoke a lot about pain causing us to shed superficiality, to shed the externalities, to open ourselves up to our true authenticity. We spoke a lot about evil and negativity flexing its muscles and then just letting out its ear and it shows itself what it is, nothing. And that's when it dies. It dies after it maximizes itself, after it expresses itself. Like the leech which dies after sucking the person's blood. And it's after that experience of Mitzrayim that the Jews were changed and the world the world which lives in our hearts, as Olam Nasabadim was also transformed. And that's when the mitzvah spicy is the physical mitzvah, can become a vehicle and a conduit for Ein Saif, for infinity. He answered the question of why some of the Avais did things that after Matan would be forbidden. Yaakov married two sisters. Amra married his aunt. And he said that's a paradigm for all of history because what happened in Egypt before Matan is similar to what happens in our exile as a prelude to Mashiach, but on a much deeper level, because when Mashiach comes, the whole earth, Umalach Aritzdeya, in the most internalized, integrated way, the whole world will be a manifestation of divine oneness. And it's the crucible of Gullahs that opens up the person and the world to that Ein Saif. That's a very brief summation of the, of the three previous classes, and Alter Rebbe now continues. Let's get back to our subject. The Torah was given to us in a very concrete way. We can learn it, we can observe it, we can practice it. And we can practice it with our arms and with our legs and with our mouths and with our bodies. And he says, as we said, it's fire and water together. And this takes the experience of Avram, which was a transcendent experience. 
He traveled and he returned. He longed and he returned. And it brings it down. It's manifested in the physical reality of Jewish life through Torah and Mitzvahs, as explained at length. Kanal. Kanal means whenever it says Kanal. It's an acronym. As has been explained above. Or as has been mentioned above. That's just for your context. Got it. So when we say that the Torah gives us the fire and the water together, so that every Jew has that experience of Avram Avinu, because even if I do not operate on the consciousness of Avram Avinu, maybe there are moments in life, but nonetheless, the life of Torah and Mitzvahs in this world, the daily life of Torah and Mitzvahs, is, is, a very concrete manifestation of Avram's flux of Avram's movement between Halech Nasaya Ratzivashai. Nonetheless, the question is how do two opposites exist in our life, fire and water, that the water should not extinguish the fire, or the fire should not dry up the water. The fact is that fire and water are opposites. They can't coexist. And when we're saying that Torah is a synthesis of both, how exactly does that happen? How can the mitzvahs of Torah give us and trigger in our soul the experience of Ratzi and Shuv, Esh and Mayim, without the water either extinguishing the flames or the flames drying up the water? By Avram Avinu, what again? The Maimah said Avram Avinu experienced fire and water spiritually. We start from the physical, we start from the mitzvahs, and that creates arousal, it opens us up to the experience. The point of Torah mitzvahs is not just to practice it in a tedious, boring, physical fashion, devoid of spirituality, that's not the point. Yes, a person does a mitzvah, just eating matzah is a mitzvah, and it's divine. But the point of every mitzvah is also, like he said before, that the physical action should arouse a consciousness there should be mindfulness. There should be a sensitivity to it. That's why our sages instituted brachas before every mitzvah, because they wanted a meditation before you do a mitzvah. Before I put on tefillin, I want to meditate. That's the blessing. What I'm doing. Before I light Shabbos candles, I want to meditate. Before I light Hanukkah candles, I want to meditate. Before I blow the shofar, before I put on my tzitzis, before I put on my talis, whatever it is, there's a bracha before how then can this trigger and arouse this experience without one compromising the other? Some of us tend more to be fiery, and some of us tend to go more to water, which depends on your personality, right? Some people have a very strong element of fire in them. Some people have a very strong element of water in them. Says the Alter Rebbe, Alzen Nemar Shalom Bimraimov. This, the Pasuk says, and we say it every day, God makes peace in his heights. So our sages say, as he mentioned earlier in the Maimer, that in his heights, there's the Malach, the angel of fire, there's the angel of water, and they should obliterate each other, but they don't. Because Isa Shalom Bimraimov, and that's when we say, Huyasa Shalom Aleinu. So the Altar Rebbe says, Shah Shalom, Hukoilo Beis Hafchim. 
These are the key words. Shalom always encompasses two opposites. And Shalom integrates two opposites. Why? Because peace transcends both. And therefore both opposites, the paradoxes, can be subsumed in the reality of peace that transcends both. So the Alter Rebbe says, You cannot synthesize the two opposites of fire and water, which all of Torah and Mitzvahs is that combination. And our spiritual experience is comprised of that paradox. If we don't have Oysa Shalom, we need a Shalom. Shalom always is about two opposites, because if not, you don't need peace. <laughs> the concept of making peace is making peace just like in a very practical way. You say, we got to make peace between enemies, right? So that's in an extreme manifestation of, of, of conflict and war. You got to make peace. But on every level, what is peace? Peace is you're reconciling. Beis Hafim, two paradoxes. But how? Not by destroying one. Not by getting rid of one. By connecting both of them. But how could they? How could you? Fire and water opposites. He says, because peace is Godol Mishnehem. That's always the key. Peace transcends both. Peace is not fire. Shalom is not water. It's greater than both. And because it's greater than both, it creates a space where they can both be subsumed. They could become bottle. They can become, uh, they can transcend the need to be stuck in their own form and become nichlo, become subsumed, become included, become part of the klal. Nichlo comes from the word klal. Become part of the shalom, the peace which is larger than both and therefore could contain them both and they can both coexist in that largeness. Now this is a very profound idea. I cannot make peace if I don't transcend both. <laughs> I can't make peace by taking sides. I was once speaking to a very respectable, very respected marriage therapist here in Muncie. And he's been very successful with helping couples enhance their marriages. And I was once talking to him about his methodology and how he works with the couples. And he says that he told me this to me candidly. He said the greatest compliment or one of the greatest compliments I ever get in my work is that both the husband and the wife feel that I'm on their side. <laughs> the wife feels that I'm completely on her side. Because <laughs> they come in, right? And the husband is like, you know, she doesn't like me. She has all these things against me. I don't know why. I'm a good guy. I work hard. I'm trying to be a good husband. And the wife is like, he completely doesn't get me, doesn't understand me, doesn't relate to me, he's out for lunch. It's two hafchem, it's two different opposite worldviews. He sees the world from his vantage point, she sees the world from her vantage point, he sees the relationship from his perspective, she sees the relationship from her perspective. This is called Beis hafchem. In their minds, there are two worlds and they're not being reconciled, that's why they're coming to therapy. So he told me, he says, she comes to me and says, when they have a private session, you are completely on my side. 
I like it. <laughs> and he feels the same. <laughs> he says, that's the greatest compliment. I, I said, I asked a stupid question. Whose side are you on? <laughs> Whose side are you on? But that's the point. There was a foolish question. The point is, you can only bring them together if two things happen. You're on neither side, and therefore you're on both sides. You're on her side and on his side. And that's what Alter Rebbe is saying. You need to bring together the two worlds. You can't take sides. <laughs> it's a great joke about this brother who moves in to this couple's home. He moves into his sister and his brother-in-law's home. The problem is they have a studio apartment. So they barely have one bedroom and another half a bedroom. And this brother is a bachelor and he doesn't have a job. So he's just there with them for days and weeks and months. In the beginning they enjoyed it, but after a while it just became too stressful. So they're trying to figure out how they could dismiss him from their home in a cordial and respectful way. But nothing is successful. You know, they speak to him, they speak to his mother. Nothing is happening. So finally, in desperation, this husband and wife decide they're going to make a spill. That night during dinner, the husband is going to start eating the soup. And instead of telling his wife the soup is delicious, as he would usually do, he's going to tell his wife the soup is so salty, it's horrible. And she's going to say, no, there's no salt in the soup. And he's going to say, wow, you can't even taste. How am I expected to eat something from somebody who makes something that they can't even taste? And she's going to say, you don't know how to taste. It's not salty. And they're going to get into a huge war about the soup. He's going to say that the soup is horrible. And she's going to say that the soup is splendid. And in the midst of the conflict, one of them is going to turn to her brother and say, what is your opinion about the soup? And whoever he agrees with, the other one will throw him out of the house. And because it's done in a time of heated passion and conflict and argument, somehow it will be accepted. This is what you do when you're desperate. Anyway, dinner time comes, and she serves the soup, and her husband starts eating the soup. Honey, usually you're good, but tonight you really struck out such... Horrific soup I've never tasted in my life. She's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's salty, it's disgusting, it's repulsive. I would not feed it to my dead enemies. And she's like, you know nothing about food and you don't know how to compliment me. And and he's like, this is horrible soup. And she's like, you can't even taste, you lost your taste buds. This is wonderful soup. And they're getting into this whole fight. A third world war breaks out in the house. Of course, it's all fake. And at some point... It's the moment of truth, the moment they've been waiting for. He turns to his brother-in-law and he says, what's your opinion about the soup? And the brother-in-law looks at his sister, looks at his brother-in-law, and in a very quiet, soothing voice, he says, I'll be honest with you. I have to live here for another few months. I can't take any sides. So, (laughs) right? It's a joke, but it's not a joke because sometimes we get into fights over other people's problems. <laughs> you ever see couples get into fights because of other people's issues, because of how late or early we're going to the bar mitzvah, we're going to the wedding. Over the sheva brachas that we're supposed to make or not supposed to make, you allow yourself to get into a fight with somebody you love most over somebody else that you don't, that's not even so connected to you. But what this brother was saying is anecdotally saying something very deep. If I want to be a peacemaker, if I want to be an ambassador of peace, I cannot get stuck in either side because then I become part of the problem rather than being part of the solution. 
And we always say, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So the Alter Rebbe gives us the formula. He says, Shalom always has to bring together two worlds. And the only way Shalom can do that, the only way peace, the only way I can become a representative of peace is, Godel Mishneim. I have to become larger than both. I have to be able to see the bigger picture. Back to the marital therapy. I have to be able to see the world of oneness in which both of their views can have place. I need to bring together the views. I can't obliterate. I can't sit down and convince the husband, you're wrong, you're dead wrong, or tell the wife, you're wrong, and he's right. You lost the plot. Even if you'll be successful short-term, ultimately you're undermining their individual experience, and that will come back to bite the marriage. I hope you understand what I'm saying. You can't undermine people's individual experiences because that will not be able to help them with the staying power to be in this relationship in an enthusiastic and integrated way. So what do I do? I have to create a space where both of the world views, where both of their emotional experiences can become considered, and not only that, they have to be able to lose their bite that creates the conflict because they become subsumed in this larger worldview. So here in two lines, the Alter Rebbe told us how we make peace. Obviously, there has to be goodwill on both sides. There has to be an openness. If I'm just going to tenaciously cling to my stubbornness because of my own traumas and insecurities, and I'm not open to this, so then I'm not open. But if I'm open to listening, if I at least want, if I'm frustrated to the point that at least I want to grow, I want to change, I want to have a better life, I want to have a happier home. So then I can be open to this. by critical words. by means create a space where there's a cloud that they can both be subsumed and then they can transcend the individual space that creates conflict. And that's what Bittl is. So how do we create peace between fire and water? And the Alter Rebbe says, by the way, my metaphor is not just a metaphor. The Alter Rebbe says in the Kutta Torah, we once learned, learned a mind, was one of the first Maimarim we learned here in Munsi. And he says, a relationship between a husband and a wife is a relationship between water and fire. <laughs> That's what he says. You have to figure out who's who. But it's a relationship between water and fire. And the Alter Rebbe even says, that's why at a wedding, the minig is, you pick up the chasen. You lift up the chasen on the shoulders, you lift up the kala on a chair. I always thought it was just a cute thing. And you know what the Rebbe says? He said it at a wedding. He says, no, it's essential. Because only when you lift them up to a higher place that's larger than the individual dimensions of fire and water can they become integrated and not only are they living together, but they become synthesized and they become something much larger than they are individually. That's what happens to the fire and the water. The fire and the water create a new reality that includes and encompasses both. But for this, you have to find that place that's Godoil Mishneim, it's larger than both. So we lift up the chasin and the kala as he puts it in that maimer from Mamali Kalalm to Soiv of Kalalm, from Pnimi to Makif. That's the Maimah Kate said, Merakt, and you can learn that we have it on the yeshiva.net. So the Alter Rebbe says, Rotsay and Shoiv, Eish and Mayim, 
can coexist in Torah and Mitzvahs, but you need the Isa Shalom Bimraimov. So in Judaism, we have this flux, we have this paradox. There's the water of Judaism and there's the fire of Judaism. There's the infinity of Torah, called water. And there's the Gvura of Torah, called discipline, structure, strength, tzimtzum. They can come together when you have This brings us back to the Kail HaShoifer. <clears throat> Why? So let's understand. What happens when you have these two angels, the angel of fire and the angel of water? Each one lives in his own world. My worldview is very different than your worldview. But when these two angels come before God, what do they recognize? Not that he doesn't recognize their individuality. They recognize that their individuality is part of a larger picture. It's part of a larger organ and that's Gadol Mishneim. In other words, I don't get stuck in my individuality. And that's the key in a relationship. The key of a successful relationship is not that I surrender who I am for you and you surrender who you are for me so that we both are not authentic. Because every good relationship needs attachment, but I also need to be authentic. If I just feel that I'm, 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 I'm giving up who I am and I can't be real in the relationship, how deep can the relationship be? Unless I become a shmata. Right? Time to mute yourself. Have to mute yourself, please. Huh? Yeah. Could you mute yourself, or if not, I'm going to mute. It's not a threat. It's just what I have to do. <laughs> okay, thank you. So therefore, Chavra, so, so what's the point? So the Medrash says that Mechal is Sarshal Mayim, and Gavriel is Sarshal Eish. You have the spiritual force of fire and water. But in the presence of Hashem, they're at peace. And there's an old word that when you go back, you go back three steps, what do you do? You remember, right? You incline your head to the left, right? Like this, like this. And then, and then in the middle, yeah? In other words... Shalom doesn't mean, it's an old word, Shalom doesn't mean I obliterate one view, I go this way, and I go that way. <laughs> and then we go to the middle. We have to bring out the middle, the Kav Hem Tzoyi, that which synthesizes both. What happens in the presence of the king? They don't have to get obliterated, but they realize that their individuation is a manifestation, it's a trickle from something larger that combines both of them, and therefore there is room for you in my worldview, there's room for me in your world, in your worldview. But for this you have to be able to have that presence of something larger that could be called a relationship, that can be called the divine, that can be called the ultimate mission, the ultimate purpose. Says the Alter Rebbe, V'zeo b'chines k'el this is what the shofar is. The synthesis of fire and water in Torah needs to be able to have that element of Hashem 
that is not defined by fire and not defined by water. And therefore the two can not only coexist, but become one. Because each of them becomes a channel for infinity. And each of them finds their unique place as a manifestation of that larger oneness that synthesizes them. So he says, now we'll understand the shoifer. He asked in the beginning, why was there a shoifer by Matan Torah? Did we need musical accompaniment? And even if yes, there are much nicer instruments than the shoifer. Shoifer, you blow from the narrow side, from the narrow mouth. And then the voice travels through the horn, through the ram's horn, and it broadens. And it emerges from the other side. So the uniqueness of the shoifer, that's the uniqueness of the shoifer, is I take the shoifer. And I blow from the from the narrow side. If you start blowing from the broad side, you ever tried? You ever tried blowing shoifer from the broad side? Let's see, a shoifer. You're going to hear, you have to blow from the narrow side. And that's when the voice is restricted. It goes in through the narrow side. But then it comes out from the broad side. Ah! And it travels far and wide. Do the Pasuk says in Tehillim, we say it in Halal. I call out to you, Min from distress, from restricted spaces. Respond to me, God, from Merchav, from expansiveness. Ah, that's the shoifer. Min you know where this niggin is from, Reb Daniel. When the Rebbe would blow shoifer, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he would say the psukim before Tkiyah shoifer. This was his niggin. Min I call out to you, Min Meitzar. Respond to me from expansiveness. How do we understand this posik? I'm calling out from distress, but please answer my prayers and give me expansiveness. Allow me to resolve my tension, to resolve my distress, to heal my wounds. Says the Alter Rebbe, yes, but there's something much deeper. Pirush, min hameitzar, listen to this. Min hameitzar is makoim tsar. Min hameitzar means a space of narrowness. What does it mean? She'enay musag. Doesn't only mean a place of distress. I'm pressured, I'm anxious, I have a deadline, I can't deal with it. I have too much on my head. This is much something much deeper. Let's take Meitzar at its core. It's a space where I get in touch with that which I can't comprehend. No thought, as it says in Zion, no thought can grasp ultimate reality. Ah, so Minha Meitzar is actually, it opens me up to the ultimate reality that I can't grasp. There's no room for it. It overwhelms me, minametzer, it overwhelms me. My brain, <laughs> my brain doesn't feel that it can wrap itself around us. 
That's what makes it makam tsar. In other words, what he's explaining here about meitzar is that it's something that's beyond hasaga. It's beyond comprehension. I feel like this is something so much larger than me. I can't hold on to it. I can't grasp it. That's min hametzar. What does this mean in a person's life? Whenever I come in contact with something that's truly above me, truly transcendent, my thoughts cannot hold on to it. I can't find myself there comfortably. That's called min hametzar. It challenges me. It challenges me because I, I can't get it. I can't control it. I can't own it. It's something that startles me. It shocks me. It overwhelms me. It's a makam sar. musik. I want to understand things because that which I can understand, I could control. That which I can understand, I feel it's inside of me. I got it. You know, I got it. And now I could relax. But this is something that keeps on, on beaconing to me. Something that my thought can't grasp. So if my thought can't grasp, I feel like I'm in a place of, 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 of such narrowness. Like I really don't get it because it's something that looms so much larger than me. That's what creates Meitzai. It's beyond all comprehensions. It's actually the deeper truth of Ein Soiv, the deeper truth of divinity. That's Lamaila Mikola Hasagas. The word Hasaga means comprehension. The word Hasaga also means grasp. Lahasig. Lahasig So I want to grasp. I want to attain. Hasaga means to attain. Because when I comprehend, I attain. When I grasp, I comprehend. Attaining something is what comprehension is. When I really get it, I'm like, okay, I get it. Now you can relax, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. <laughs> sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. That's Merchav. What's Meitzer? Meitzer is my thoughts are being challenged. You know why? Because my thought can't grasp it. My brain can't wrap itself around it. He says it's Lamayla Mikol Hasagas. It's beyond Hasaga. To be able to be okay with the fact that I'm not okay, to be able to be okay with the fact that I don't get it. There's a humility here. There's a very deep, vulnerable humility in this process of no machshava grasping truth. Because it's Lamaila Mikola Hasagas. And that's where the shoifer begins. Min karasi The call of the shoifer is the calling out of that space. And this is the connection to Shaifer, which comes from the words, like we learned earlier in the beginning of the Maimer, he said that Shaifer is higher than all the instruments. Aye, it's not as musical. It's not as gishmak. It's not as splendid. But it's the beginning of it. He says, Shapru Maasechem. Beautify your actions. On its own, the shoifer is a simple sound. Two, it's not sophisticated. It doesn't have the charm and the colorfulness and the beauty and the delight and the splendor and the glory and the geschmack of the violin or of the cello or of the harp or of the guitar or of the piano. As the Rebbe said in the beginning of the Maimer, he said it's called Pashat, it has a simplicity to it, but it's Mekayr It's the source of the pleasures. 
And that's why it's called Shapru Maasechem. Beautify your actions because it's the source of Tainuk. Because Shoifer goes into Min HaMetzar. It goes into the place that's beyond Hasaga. It's beyond Tainuk. It's the source of the Tanogim. It's the source of the pleasures, as we learned in the first class. Very good place to be. It's the beginning. We'll see in a moment. That's why we start off Min HaMetzar. The merchav, the expansiveness, always begins with Metzar. Why? Because whenever there is serious growth from one place to another place, I'm going into a place of distress. Right? This is very important. Whenever there is serious growth from one place to another place, I'm going through a place of distress because I'm going out of my comfort zone. When somebody tells me a truth about myself, that I never integrated before, it's going to distress me. It's not going to be easy to hear because it's going to challenge my paradigms. I'm not going to feel expansive. I'm going to feel distressed, even emotionally. You're challenging me. You're putting me in a corner. (laughs) You're distressing me. I can't make peace with what you're saying. I don't know how to integrate it. But that's an invitation to open yourself up to something that's larger, something that's deeper, maybe a truth that's very uncomfortable. Maybe a truth that I could never face. And because of that, it's the beginning of a tremendous process of discovery. So the voice of the shoifer is undifferent. It doesn't have that sophistication, that nuance. Right? "Ah," But it's ultimately the source of differentiation. It's ultimately the source of sophistication. Sophistication, sophisticated music, the Alter Rebbe says, begins with a shoifer. And all music is about longing to that which is beyond. That's what real music is. And he continues and he says, Ki imcha mekar chayim ksiv, p'chines imcha, batal v'nichlal, ba'erein soif baruch mamash. The Pasuk says, famous Pasuk in Tehillim, Many say it when they put on, after they put on their talus. Ki imcha mekar chayim. With you is the source of life. Again, he brought this in the beginning of the Maimer. Hashem is the source of life. He's the source of pleasure. He's the source of pleasure. But the words is, ki imcha mekar chayim. With you is the source of life. With you. In other words, don't define God as the source of life. With you is the source of life. Because the Ein Saif itself is even beyond pleasure. And that's the Metzar that you're experiencing. Metzar is the antithesis of pleasure. It's distress. But he says the reason there is distress is because you're reaching the source of pleasure. You're reaching the source of Tainuk. Ki imcha mekar chayim ksev. P'chines imcha batal v'nichla baruch mamash. With you is the source of pleasure. God is the source of pleasure. God is the source of life. But that's called imcha. It's with you. It's also subservient to you. It doesn't capture you. It doesn't define you. The source of pleasure is beyond any individual pleasure. Umisham karasi ka minameitzar karasi yo anani bamerchav yo. From there, I call out to Yah, Yud and Hey, Yud ilah pchinas chachma vehe ilah bina hirichayvus hanar archavus adas b'mashem isbeinan. The calling out always is with Yud. The Yud is the first letter. The higher you are, the seminal point, it's known as Chachma. 
The second letter is the hey, which is already the expansiveness. It's known as bina, which is associated with the broadness of the river that draws from the spring in which the water trickles very slowly and very condensed, and then it expands in the river. That's like Chachma and Bina, father and mother, the seminal point, the epiphany, the seed of life, which is then expanded. There's a meditation, a contemplation. In Bina there's already comprehension, I can attain it. Chachma is a lightning. You know, with the lightning, the epiphany, you ever in pitch dark in the wilderness and suddenly there's a lightning and there's amazing, incredible light and it casts its luminescence on the entire space that you're in, but it also dissipates. The lightning comes and the lightning goes. That's Chachma. Chachma is that moment of revelation, that moment of epiphany that comes from a vacuum, from an apparent vacuum. Then there's Bina. Bina is already concretizing the seed, conceiving it, developing it into a fetus. So the Pasuk says, Min ha-meitzar, karasi yud ke, karasi yud and he. Because the meitzar is referring to the essence, which is beyond what I can wrap my brain around, which is beyond what I can grasp and maintain and contain and hold on to. So from that space, karasi, I call out to yud ke, I call out to yud and he, which is chachma and bina, Yud represents Chachma, which is again a place in which I never control the idea. In Chachma, you never control the idea. You don't get it. It gets you. You can't prepare for the epiphany. The epiphany suddenly comes in. It's not something that you can initiate through ego, through preparation. It's something that comes from absolute humility. And then there's the hay that expands the idea. That's like the river which broadens the water that comes out and trickles out of the well. So the Pasuk says, you start off, Karasi Yudke Dahainu, Shemisham Hischaschalas Hischavos Chachma, Ve'eden, Ve'teira, Liyos La'avda, Olesham Revelasas Gan Eden, Ve'gilu Yitainuk, Ve'asagas Hanashamas. From there, from that place of Meitzar, that's where everything begins to emerge. Chachma emerges, and Aden emerges. There's Aden and there's Gan Aden. The Torah says in Bereshis, the river comes out of Aden to irrigate the garden. So Aden is beyond Gan Aden. So he says, from there is the beginning of Chachma and Aden and Torah, where Adam Arishan is placed in Gan Aden to work it, to toil it, and to guard it, and to create a garden of Eden and the revelation of the pleasure and the comprehension of Neshamas. So you have Aden and Gan Aden. It starts off with Aden, and then the river irrigates the garden from the water that it receives from Eden. Aden represents the core of pleasure. Before it's comprehended, before it's manifested, that's Chachma. That's like the epiphany, the lightning. And then this Gan Aden, the way the Eden translates into a garden where there's much more comprehension. That's why Chazal say that in Gan Eden, the souls enjoy the radiance of the Shechina. That's the Tainug. That's the Hasaga. So Adam is put into Gan Eden to work it. To reveal the Eden in the garden. That's Adam's job. To reveal the Chachma in the Bina. So min hameitzar karasi yutke from the meitzar from the source of everything which I don't comprehend and that's why it's called a place of distress because I don't get it, I don't understand it. I suddenly feel my inadequacy and that's what real distress means. Don't look at the distress externally. Look at the distress from a place that you're touching something that you can't comprehend 
Everything that distresses you is an opportunity to transcend. You hear what Alter Rebbe is saying? Whenever I'm in a moment of distress, it's an opportunity to go out of my box. My thought process is being shaken. It's being shocked. In other words, I'm touching something that my thought can't grasp. Great. Because from there, karasi, from there you can access chachma. From there you can access bina. From there you can access Aden. From there you can access gan. As he says, from there, that's the beginning where everything is created. From that nothingness. From that point of intangibility. From that seed that decomposed in the ground. That's where amorphosis and a transformation happens. From there, Chachma emerges. From there, Eden emerges. From there, Teire emerges. That's the shoifer. The shoifer is not pleasurable. It's not a sound that you can wrap your ecstasy around and melt away in this beautiful concerto. The shoifer is the source of the pleasure. And therefore, it's very simple. It's raw. It's a raw voice. Do, 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 It's the source of all the pleasures. It's the makar hatanogim. But from there you have chachma, from there you have bina. Everything emerges from there, both chachma and bina. So mina meitzar, from meitzar karasi, that's where you can access chachma, which is a new idea, a new transcendent idea, a new epiphany, which will then be developed and concretized in bina. anani and through this, you'll respond to me in expansiveness. Just like the voice, the sound of the shoifer. It comes out from a narrow space. I blow into the narrow side of the shoifer. And from there it comes out, it travels and it comes out from the broader side of the shoifer. So the Alter Rebbe says, the Meitzar which accesses Yudke, then comes back. In an expansive way, anani bamerch of yudke. Kikemoshiyash yud hei iloyin kachyash prinas yud and hei tatoyin. There's the higher yud and hei, and then there's the lower yud and hei. The first yudke is the higher yud and hei, the higher chachman bina. But then there is anani bamerch of yud and hei, the way yud and hei come down in a much lower space where there is expansiveness, where there's comfort, where it's very integrated in my identity. Wow, so Alter Rebbe here gives us the process. It starts off with Meitzar. And the Meitzar accesses the Yud and the Hay. And then you can get the Anani, the response, from a place of Merch, of Harchava, broadness, integration. Because now there's the lower Yud and Hay. What's the lower Yud and Hay? Yud is Bittel, Mayim HaTachtoinim. We go now back to the water, water. Everything is connected. Rabbi Akiva said, don't say water, water. You remember? Yud is bitl, mayim atachtoinim. The lower yud represents. Yud is bitl, it's seminal. There's an element of humility. It's the lower water. Chachmatata, yud b'reish, v'yud b'saif. It represents. Chachmatata, there's chachma ilah, the higher level of chachma. That's what he spoke about, the first Yud, Min HaMeitzar Karasi, Yud Ke, that's the higher Yud, Chachmelah, and then there's Chachmatata, the lower level of wisdom. There's Yud Beresh, the Yud Besaif. There's the Yud on the top, and there's Yud all the way at the end. And then you have a Hey, who Pchines Eish, with Samarin Shabalev. And then the lower Hey is the way the Chachmatata is translated into a fire and a thirst in the heart. Meaning, you have the Yud Ke in the beginning of the Pasuk, that's Min HaMeitzar, that's the godliness which transcends my comfort zone. And that's why it's called the higher yud and the higher hey. 
the way it comes down in a more integrated fashion, it's called the lower yud, and the lower hay, and that is the rotzay and shayv in a person's life. The lower yud is the chachmat as he said, the way Torah comes down into wisdom that I could comprehend. Wisdom that I can actually comprehend. And the hay is the fire, the passion, the thirst that comes from the heart. Okay, the word, yeah, I stand corrected. The word of Chachmat is not comprehension. It's the way the wisdom comes down into a lower space where the human being can comprehend it. You remember he spoke before about Maya Maya, that all of Torah emerges in a place that's Chachma where there's no comprehension. And then Torah comes out of Chachma and it comes down into Chachma Tata, where there's an epiphany in my mind that I can get, then grasp. So ultimately, this is the way it comes down into a space of Chachma, but it's a lower space of Chachma. It's the same concept, it's Chachma, but it's not Chachma law. The way it's in the source, it's Chachma the way it comes down into a lower space. Because you remember, earlier, Rabbi Akiva was telling his colleagues, don't say water, water. So the Rebbe said, what's water, water? Mayim al is Yud Ilah. It's the higher Yud, which is beyond Torah being revealed. It's Torah as complete infinity. That's Torah, the way it's in Hashem's Yama, Chach, Masih of Chach, when there's no Gili, there's no tangible manifestation of it, it's pure Ein Soif. And then Eiraisim, Echachma, Nafkas, and then Torah comes out of Chachma, as the Torah says, and it comes down into Yutata, which is Mayim Tachtoinim, and that's where there's Chachma Tata, where the person can have toil and have an effort and have an epiphany, and then the Chachma comes into Bina, and then it comes into Mitzvahs, and Rebekah said, don't separate between the water. So that's now he's going back to that Mayim Mayim, those two Yuds, the higher Yud and the lower Yud. Is it clear? Of course, that's why he uses the word Mayim Tachtoinim. That's what they call it key words that connect it. Yud B'Rosh and Yud B'Soif means Chachma Tata versus Chachma Ilah. The, the higher Yud and the lower Yud. Yud Kevavke in its source and Yud Kevavke in its lower manifestation. Huh? Decoding, yeah, decoding. Mayim al has to be decoded because... You know, it's a good example. You know, in programming, those of you who deal with programming, you know, you look at the back end, you look at the coding, most people, you know, when I look at it, it's, it's pure gibberish. It, it, it's completely senseless. I remember I once turned to my programmer. He was writing programs, writing a program for the yeshiva.net, and he, he, he works many hours of the day and of the night. He has a few, he had a few jobs at the time. And I looked at him and I said, you do, <laughs> it was just spontaneous. I said, you do this all day? He says, yes, and it's much more <laughs> logical than you think it is. Because <laughs> all I saw was, you know, you know those symbols in programming? One symbol, another symbol, and it doesn't end. It doesn't end. It doesn't. And I'm like, what if we could just erase one of those symbols? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to destroy everything. Don't touch it. So the point is, it's just a good metaphor, how on the back end, the source of everything is just incomprehensible. But not because, not because... It's gibberish because it's beyond. It's beyond my ability to wrap my brain around it. So Chachmei Law, which is the source of Torah, it's called Mayim El Yoinim. That's the Hayud. 
It's beyond comprehension. It's beyond gilui. It's beyond manifestation. And then there's mayim tachtoinim, the way it assumes chachmatato. It assumes the incarnation of chachmatato, which then will come into bina and das and midos and so forth. So that's what he says. There's the yud and then there's the hay. And the hay is taking the same belibenu bina love and olahasik to bring it into the fire and the thirst in the heart. Because as he said before, the thirst comes from bina and that's the hay. It all begins It all begins from a place of distress. It starts off with going back to the source of pleasure. This, this. Yeah, the shoifer is an invitation for paradox. It's an invitation to synthesize paradox because yud and the hay, the yud and the hay are two opposites. Yud is ayin and hay is yesh. Yud is intangible, hay is tangible. Yud is chachma, hay is bina. Can we make peace between yud and hay? Both the higher yud and hay and the lower yud and hay. The shoifer makes peace between the two. Min ha-meitzar karasi yudke. The meitzar allows you to access the yud and the hay. And then allows you to experience the merchav, the expansiveness of both the yud and the hay. Remember, Meitzar is always a higher reality where you find yourself narrow. You find yourself being small. What's Meitzar? Meitzar means I'm crushed, right? I'm small, I'm fakvetched. I'm so small, I, I can't flex my muscles. I'm, I'm, I'm in a state of bittel. I'm in a state of silence. I'm not in a state of expansiveness, of integration. I'm in a space of, of challenge. I'm, 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 I'm uptight. But I don't mean uptight here like a person who's uptight. I mean uptight in the sense that I find, my, I, I find myself in a very inadequate place, in a very small place. I look in the mirror and I see, I see smallness. One of the Rebbe's once said, As the Al-Tarebbe showed how small a person is and how great he or she can become. And it's dependent on each other. If I don't know how small I am, I don't know how great I can become because the greatness that I think I am or I could become is really much smaller than it really is. Only when I know how small I am do I also know how great I can become because it's the smallness that allows me to achieve a greatness that I could never achieve without it. Do you understand? Very good, very good. So the word are we translate as distress, but really in this mime it shouldn't be translated as distress. You're right. It's not the stress. It's awe. It's it's reverence. It's it's the smallness that comes from touching something that's completely beyond me, where my comprehension ceases. And that's called a narrow space, not in the sense that I'm distressed, but in the sense that I find that all the spaces that I created for myself are too narrow to grasp reality. Okay, now I got the words. I didn't have the words before. Let, let, let me let me let me let me say this again because I, I I didn't have the words before I didn't have the issues. It just came in now because of uh, Aviva Aviva's question because Av, Aviv means spring Aviva means spring, so she uh, she allowed the words to blossom the the issues to blossom. Min means it's a space that I feel all my space. We all create spaces, right? We create spaces. We create homes and spaces and careers and ideas. It's my space. This is where I live in, physically, emotionally. 
when I suddenly realize that all these spaces are too small to grasp reality. That's called minametzer. I suddenly realize that all my spaces simply can't contain what there is to contain. Because even my thoughts, my transcendent thoughts, can't grasp. So my thought can't be a space. So all my mekaymois become minhametza, they become too narrow. Because they can't contain, they can't channel that which is beyond channeling. So that's the experience of metzar, min ha-metzar. That's what he says. It's a mokim tsar. Min ha-metzar is mem tsar. Mokim tsar. Interesting. I think that's what he means. Mokim tsar, mem tsar. It's a space. Maybe on a practical level, we experience this in anxiety, distress. When- of course. That's the key. That's how you transform the stress into a very meaningful and positive growth experience. It's not running away from that which I don't understand. We often want to run away. I want to go back to my place, right? Just, I want to go back to my space. I already have a space. I have a closet, you know. (laughs) I have a closet. I have a locker room. This is my space. I know it. I'm familiar. I control it. When I... The, the real experience of Shoifer is, is min hametzar. Suddenly I realize all my spaces, they're so narrow. They just can't contain reality. So what do you do? So people do one of two things. Either they reduce reality to their space. <laughs> they reduce reality to their space and they shut down from anything larger. In other words, they fit the reality into that pre-existing space or they let go of the space. And there is a painful experience there because letting go is painful in a good way. It, it's shedding, it's shedding layers. Letting go of space is very, very hard. <laughs> I'm saying this because it's important to acknowledge the pain of it. Because if I don't acknowledge the pain of it, when I feel the pain, I'm going to get very startled. I don't have to get startled. When somebody tells you something that's really challenging your paradigms, for example, my natural inclination is, you know, fight or flight, right? <laughs> fight, tell them you're wrong, you're, you're judgmental, you're horrible, or just run away. But that's not the shoifer. The shoifer is to stay in the place of Mezar, to put your voice into that Mezar, to, to, really, to really embrace, to really embrace that, because that's karasi, that will access a new yud, that will access a new hay. And anani and then it will be integrated. But it's going to be integrated in a much broader way. So the shoifer can make peace. That's the only thing that can make peace between fire and water, between chachma and bina, between ratzai and shoiv. The peace between the two levels is done through the shoifer. Why? Because the shoifer transcends a particular individual identity. It's like we spoke before about couples therapy, about relationships. If I take sides, I already lost the plot. I have to open myself up to a place where both worlds can merge into oneness. And that's the power of the shoifer, the simplicity of the shoifer that comes from an undefined oneness. Even when it comes out in Chachma and Bina, which is Yud and Hey, there could be Shalom, Oisa Shalom Bim Raimov, because in the source of pleasure, there is always room 
for the different manifestations of pleasure. But for this, I have to go to the source of pleasure rather than to an individual expression of it. And that's a very profound transformative process. And that's why the Kail HaShoifer is the one that could combine Yutke, Min HaMeitzar Karasi Yutke, which is also connected to the two experiences of Ratzoi and Shuv. And as he said earlier, Ratzoi and Shuv is the difference of Chachma and Bina. Because Shuv is where I realize that I don't get you, I, I can't comprehend you, I can't contain you, and therefore I have to have that respect, that awe, that's Chachma, and Bina, which is associated, Bina Liba, Vesembele Benu Bina, creates the thirst, the comprehension creates thirst for more and more and more, because I feel like I'm a chutin, I feel that kinship, that closeness. And that rhythm of life is essential to the heartbeat, it's essential to oxygen, to inhaling, exhaling, expanding the heart, contracting the heart, and that's the very rhythm of life, and every shuv brings to a deeper rotsoi, and the rotsoi brings to a deeper shuv, and brings to a deeper rotsoi, and that relationship, that rhythm continues, and the paradox can exist, because something that is higher than fire and water and therefore doesn't get threatened, not by fire and not by water, because it could contain both, realizing that each one is part of the rhythm of a relationship, part of the rhythm of life. And if I don't have to squash or crush any one expression in order to feel safe and secure. But the only way I can do that is when I go to that place of Meitzar, when I go into that place where my spaces become narrow and therefore I reach out to that which my thought can't grasp and can't comprehend and I have no space for it and that really creates a whole new dimension of awareness. And the Altarebbe continues, Generally, this is associated with the silence of davening, which is Shmona Esra. Because davening has different stages. There's the part of davening where we say the blessings before Shema, and then we say Shema, and over there there's a lot of fire. We speak about the angels, right? You remember, there is commotion, there is intensity, there's tremendous passion, there is tremendous passion. It speaks about the fire of the angels, and that's where the Navi Yecheskel speaks about, that under the heaven, they have straight wings. What's this idea that angels have wings? We imagine angels with physical wings. He says, no. Wings represent longing. When a bird soars upward with its wings, you know, you sit in the plane and you watch those wings that allow the plane to take off from a terrestrial domain into a higher space. So the wings of the angel represent the ability to fly up, to dream. It's the ambition, it's the yearning, it's the aspiration, it's that longing. There's something very rich and beautiful about it. You're flying up from a lower place to a higher place because you have this passion that takes you out of your present domain. And that's what the angels are doing, that's the the, the wings, the wings of the angels. You know, you speak about the wind beneath the wings or that which allows your wings to to uh, soar, to, to fly. That's the Ratzoi. The Ratzoi is what allows them to fly. This is under the heaven. What does this mean? 
Yechezkel says there was a heaven above the angels that was frozen as ice. Frozen as ice doesn't mean coldness, it means bitl. It means sometimes in a state of absolute humility, I'm frozen in a good way. I'm not expansive, I'm not expressing myself because there's a silence, there's an awe. So there's what the angels experience and therefore they long to it. But above that is a rakia and that's the ice, that's the chachma, that's the bitl. So there's two levels. When I'm under the ice, when I'm under the heaven and I could still comprehend, I yearn for more, I want more, I want more, I want more. That's why he says, Tachas under the heaven, Kanfeyim Yesharis, their wings are straight and directed, they're flying and soaring. But when you reach to a higher place, when you reach that rakia, suddenly your Hasaga experience is bitl. This is where I cease to comprehend. This is where I cease to understand. And then I can't fly anymore. And that's when there's shuv, that's when you're returning. That's the rotsay and the shayv. So I, I soar. But all soaring is because I appreciate that which is ahead of me, that which is beyond me. That's what he says. Wow. So you have three stages. <laughs> There's the stage of Ratzai, there's the stage of Shaiv, and that's when there is a silence, there's a humility, there's a reverence, there's an awe, there's a boundary. Ratzai comes from comprehension, Shuv comes from a deeper place that I can't comprehend. And then he says, the Pasa continues, this is all explaining Yecheskel chapter 1, the version of the chariot. So there's the angels with the wings. And then there's the heaven, which is like ice, which represents the bittel, the silence, the shuv. And then he says, there's a voice, Yecheskel says, above the heaven, on their heads. And that's when they shed all their wings. What an expression. The angels let go of all their wings. They stop flying. Why? He says, what is that about? He says, that's the shoifer. The shoifer, which is above the rakia, ba'amdam, that's when they're standing. That's what tefillah represents. Kriyashma and the brachas is the fire, the fire, the rotzoi, the fire. But then, when I reach that rakia, you can hear the voice that's above the rakia, above that heaven. And in that space, there's no rotzoi, he says, and there's no shuv. He says the rotzoi becomes subsumed, and even the shuv becomes subsumed. They both become one, and it's not defined not as rotzoi, and not as shuv. There's three stages. There's rotzai, and there's the shuv, and there's the point where they become completely one because of that which synthesizes both of them and combines both of them, and then there's no contradiction. In other words, the Mittler Rebbe, the Balatanya's son, when he explains this mimer, he gives a metaphor that in his day and age was very practical because monarchy was very authentic and the czar was considered something very special, you know. There was that element of a king of Melech. So it's hard for us to relate to it, but it's worthwhile to repeat his example. He says, if a a person, a regular citizen, gets a summons that the czar wants to see him, he says, wow, this is like very, it's very intense. 
it's like there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of nervousness and there's a lot of uh, anticipation and there's a lot of longing and I'm going to get to speak to the czar and, and connect to him and see him and appreciate him again. We don't appreciate this because, uh, you know, I don't know if you would have this with Joe Biden or even with Donald Trump or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, maybe. But, you know, the kings of yore was like this, this sense of absolute respect and and. and uh, Sometimes it was, you know, pure tyranny. But the point is the Melech had that, you know, that charisma, that that sense of, of royalty and aristocracy and monarchy. So he says, when you're being invited, you have all this excitement or anticipation. He says, that's as long as you're not close to the palace. He says, once you get to the palace, now the Ratzai is substituted with Shuv. He says, now there's there's just a certain humility that takes over why because as he's about to enter into the king like there's a certain frozenness frozenness that comes from an awe and a respect and a silence and a reverence and he says that's the two levels of the angels right there's the angels flying with their wings and then there's the rakia where there's ice but he says this is all when you see the palace he says then when he comes in when he comes in (laughs) To the king himself, he says, now it's not Ratzin, and it's not Shev anymore. Now the eye just seizes. I think one way of, of understanding a little bit of this marshal could be understood in a relationship with a real, real tzaddik. A tzaddik who really has no ego, who's a manifestation of Hashem's light, a real, real, real Rebbe, where there's three types of, three levels in the relationship. There's a relationship of Ratzin which is very powerful. There's ecstasy and there's delight and there's yearning and longing and looking forward. And then there's an element of awe and reverence, which comes from boundaries, which is the concept of shoiv, in which I become kerach, and that's the rakia. The person realizes the, 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 you know, how much I don't know, how much, how much I don't understand, how much I don't comprehend. And that's an element of shuv. There's a silence. There's a humility there. I'm not ambitious now. On the contrary, I'm, there's an element of withdrawal in a positive sense, an element of silence. It's like the respect in a relationship. And then there's the actual encounter. The person comes in into the presence of the Rebbe, and then it's not Ratzay, it's not Shaiv. It's complete oneness. And in complete oneness, there's no experience. It's not an experience. I'm longing. I'm not longing. I'm humble. I'm not humble. I'm not not humble. I'm not in awe. I'm not, I'm not in awe. My eye became subsumed in a larger reality. Now, in our culture, we don't talk about these things because we're all afraid of being abused and exploited and manipulated. But that's a pity because we don't have models that we can experience this with. But we're talking about a real, authentic Rebbe who is not manipulative. And it's not a, on the contrary, is completely humble, is a conduit for God. So these experiences are really very rich because they allow the soul to dance. The soul's dance is comprised of three experiences, Ratzai and Shuv, and that which is beyond experience. And when you go beyond experience, Ratzai and Shuv are not a contradiction. And that's the Shoifer, that's the source of the pleasure where Yud and He can come together. So he says in Davening we have these stages. There's the blessings before Kriyashma, and then there's Kriyashma, and then there's Shmaina Esra. Shmaina Esra is silence. Why silence? Because the silence represents that which is beyond Ratzai and beyond Shuv. And that's where the two come together. The, th- the two come together. And the Alter Rebbe says, And then comes expansiveness. 
because ultimately we have to integrate. I can't stay in the palace all my life. I'm going back to my home. I'm going back to my space. I can't live in spacelessness. He says, then your integration becomes much broader. The Pasuk speaks in Yeshaya about peace. He will make peace for me, peace for me. So Chazal say in Sanhedrin 99, peace in the higher entourage, peace in the lower entourage. Peace above and peace below means that the higher and the lower become one. There's no contradiction between the two. And that's what the Torah wants to do, create peace between fire and water, that the Yud and the hay, the higher Yud and hay become one, the lower Yud and hay become one, and the consciousness above becomes the consciousness below, so that there is complete integration. So even when I, so to speak, go back to my space, I can synthesize both of these movements. And what this means in a person's life is, it's a very powerful idea that the contradiction of Ratzay and Shoiv only exists when I'm stuck in a place of experience. Now, we're always in a place of experience, right? But when I can experience that which is beyond experience, I can really open myself up to that, then Ratzay and Shoiv don't contradict each other. And the Alter Rebbe finishes the last, few, the last few lines here. Let's do the last few lines. It's the top of page 148. We're going to learn for like another five minutes. Now we'll understand the idea of the nation watching, seeing the sounds, the fire, and the shoifer. Sounds represent communications, like sound waves. Just as physically, the physical sound brings the breath from the heart and it communicates it through your mouth verbally. It's an allegory, it's a metaphor for infinity, the light of infinity becoming actualized from a place of concealment into revelation that's called koil. So when we say they saw the koil, it's, there was a revelation of infinity. The koil is lush in rabim, kemaimer azal. It says many sounds, because chazal say that zoichel l'toyrish enitna b'chamisha koilus. Heim hei pa'amim mayim, kemoishiyesh hei pa'amim oir. Umayim heim amshaches achasadim sheyoridim emakim gavayel amakim namuch. Dainu gili amshaches eren tseif barucho b'maisa hamitzvus. The reason there are many sounds is because Chazal speak about that if somebody who goes to a wedding and brings joy to a groom and a bride, which is the peace between a groom and a bride, fire and water, they merit Torah, which was given through five sounds. It says this five times kailais. Torah was given through five sounds. He says it's also five times water. In the story of Bereshus, in the creation of water on Monday, the division of water, Mayim, is mentioned five times. On Sunday, light is mentioned five times. We don't realize this. But there's light five times, water five times. So that's Eir and Mayim. And then the sounds by Torah says five times. Water represents Chesed, that which comes down to the lower space, where infinity is manifested and comes down into our daily lives and into our mitzvahs. So the Koilois, the five sounds represent the five times water, the five times light, 
you get the Torah which was given through five sounds. There's five elements of chesed. Those are the five fingers of the right hand, just like there's five elements of guru, which are the five fingers of the left hand. Now, he's not getting here into the five. It's, it's beyond this sheer. But the point is, V'chalam Rayim Esakoyle says that you could see the manifestation, all the sounds, because there's different frequencies, just like when I create sounds and it creates sound waves and it travels in different frequencies. So there's different sounds through which the Ein Soif is manifested in our life daily through our Torah, through our mitzvahs, through our living. So those koilos, those koilos, represent that gilui, that that revelation. So you have the water, and now you have the fire, which is the lightning, fire. There's the water element of Torah, and that's the koilos, five koilos corresponding to the five times water, which is a voice. What's a voice? What's a sound? It brings out from your inner emotions, from your inner breath, it comes out verbally, which is the Ein Seif coming out in a revealed way, which is what water is. Water trickles down, as we spoke earlier. Fire goes up, water goes down. That's the Kailas. They saw the water of Yiddishkeit, but they also saw Lapidim. They saw the fire of Yiddishkeit, the water and the fire together. One creates Ratzoi, one creates Shuv, as he said. The fire represents Ratzoi going up, the water goes down, that creates shuv, that's the flux, that's the rhythm. Bina and chachma, that which I comprehend, and the humility, the rakia, the ice. Remember, kerach, ice is frozen water, because water is flowing, ice doesn't flow. In other words, there's a complete moment of congealing, but that's a powerful moment, it's a moment where I freeze. I don't mean freezing in trauma, there's freezing in trauma, but... But this is how you transform the freeze of trauma. How do you transform the freeze of trauma? By this experience. Because let's go back. We spoke about the stress. All the stress and anxiety can be aligned with experiencing transcendence. And then you transform your anxiety into a transcendent experience. I'm being anxious. You know why I'm anxious? I'm anxious because I'm trying to hold on to that which I can't hold on to. That's what anxiety is at least some forms of anxiety. I'm trying to hold on to that which I can't hold on to, right? You made a to-do list. How many things do you have on your to-do list today? 10, 20, if you're a good Jew. Okay, you have four, so you're normal, but many Jews have 93 things on their to-do list. How many do you end up doing? One and a half, if you're lucky. Maybe two and a half. Super mom, six and a half, okay? Dad, usually one and a half or a half. I'm anxious because I create, I want to control things where I have to let go. So anxiety is an invitation to a deeper level of Metzar. Here too, freezing, when we freeze in life, we sometimes go offline. But the real freezing is, I'm opened up to something that causes me to freeze because that's shoiv. It's echad. I comprehend that. I comprehend the fact that I can't comprehend that's the Mayim that becomes ice. That's the second level of the angels. Remember, there's the angels flying with their wings. That's Ratzoi. And then there's the angels frozen. That's Shuv. And then there's the Shemayna Esther, the silence where the two become one. And they shed all their wings. They shed Ratzoi. There's no name for Ratzoi anymore. There's no name for Shuv because they're completely one, because they go to a place beyond. So he says, the people saw the sounds, that's water. They saw the fire, that's fire. That's shuv and ratzoi. 
The Cholam Roi Visigo Ayin Ba'ayin. They saw this eye to eye. They experienced it. Roi Hanishma. They saw that which is usually heard. What does that mean? What does it mean you see what is usually heard? And the answer is very deep. Chachma is seeing. Bina is hearing. An epiphany you see. An idea you hear, you get it, you comprehend it, you don't see it. Chachma has a clarity that Bina doesn't have. And when you have that epiphany, it's like, wow. But then it goes away. And now you have to hear it. The difference of seeing and hearing is when you see, you see the whole picture and then you analyze the details. When you hear, it's detail after detail after detail. It's right brain, left brain. One deals with the whole and the other deals with individualism, with particles. One is a wave, one is a particle. Chachma is a wave, Bina is a particle. Chachma is seeing, Bina is hearing. By Matan Torah, they saw that which was heard. Chachma and Bina became one. That which you usually hear, they saw. That which you see, they heard. How? That's why they needed a shoifer. The shoifer wasn't music. For music, you could have gotten a violin. The shoifer was that which could com- combine that which you see and that which you hear. The koila shoifer that comes from a place of meitzer. What's a place of meitzer? When you touch transcendence. It's the source of pleasure. And from the source... You can have water and you can have fire, even though they're paradoxical, they're completely one. Commission is Barlel, as we explained before. I think I had my workout for today. Okay, let's take some questions. Um You mean Vesahar Ashen? That's actually somewhat of a new mimer. It's somewhat of a new mimer. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see. Let me see what the Eilam here has to say. Ratzay Veshaiv. Beautiful comments. Is there a stronger proclivity from either the fire people or the water people to be stuck? I'm finding there's a certain type of person that would like to go back to Amal, to the past, and have a hard time with hearing about a new consciousness, a redemptive consciousness. Is this fire or water or neither? What's the tendency of being stuck? Or is it rearing? Is it about family culture? It's a good question. I don't know that there's one common denominator. I don't know. I have to think about it. The way I understand Ratzi and Shoev, somebody writes, is I have this yearning to go beyond my individual identity, always, but then I have the sense of calm and realizing I have to embrace myself and doing God's will in this place and in this time and to be able to be content with my boundaries and limitations. It's very deep, yeah. Is this why kids have so much anxiety? Perhaps. Especially teenagers, right? I feel that there can be both distress and pleasure in learning. In real learning, you have distress and pleasure. You have pleasure because it's incredibly fulfilling, and you have distress because you're frustrated by that which you cannot comprehend. That's very good. I want to tell you something. 
whenever you learn about real things, you have to feel the stress in a good way. Because not bad the stress, it's not anxiety and, 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 and negativity and toxicity. It's there's the stress that comes from wow, this is so beyond, and I would have loved to grasp more of this. And the only way that distress doesn't become a source of anxiety is when you have the humility of realizing that I am a conduit for that which I have to be a conduit, and I'm not God. I'm an aspect of God. And that humility allows you to embrace your limitations as much as it emboldens you to go beyond your limitations. And it, it, it's it's a very delicate balance. It, you have it in a relationship also. You know, I want you, but I also can't have you. I have to be me. You know, what's the problem when people, you know, people have crushes. What, what's the problem with a crush, right? The crush is, I want you instead of me. And that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, people have crushes sometimes, young people, older people. I want to live my life through you. It doesn't work. I can't live my life through you. I have to live my life through me. <laughs> I can be close to you. I can have a relationship with you. We could become very close, but I have to live my life through me, not through you. And there's a lot of boundaries. That's boundaries. And boundaries, people don't like boundaries, right? The 60s, they wanted to obliterate all the boundaries and intimacy because it seemed so much more authentic, so much more loving, there's no staying power. There's no staying power. If we obliterate the boundaries of people, it's beautiful when you're 21 years old and you're on LSD for a couple of years. <laughs> but staying power must have shuv. You must recognize the world of limits. You can't only live in fire. You have to live in water. The problem is when we go back to shuv, we can also become estranged. We become there's no fire anymore, <laughs> you know, there's no passion. And some people run here, some, you see it in Judaism. Some people focus on the, the infinity and some people love the structure, right? And, and it could feed OCD. And that's where you must have the undefined God, the shoifer. When you don't have the shoifer, you get stuck. This person is running into ecstasy, and this person is running into discipline, you know. This person loves structure and they deify structure. Everything is about structure. Everything is about the clock. And it's like, it, it kills it. It's dead. And the other person is like, they destroy structure. But with the essence, the essence, the shoifer does not get caught up in one or the other. There's, there is a fusion because it's beyond this experience or that experience. And each experience is part of it. And that's a very humbling humbling idea yeah anybody wants to ask something very beautiful comments and probably on the website there's many more comments and you could read them for yourself um, wow Rina where are you from you're, you're in Czechoslovakia that, that, that's where you're now in Czechoslovakia which city Lipstadt wow so you see, I want everybody to realize who we have. We have our dear friend from Pakistan today. We always have her. And we have Czechoslovakia. Of course, we have Great Britain. And we have the Holy Land. I see Atlanta. And I even see a colleague from Muncie. 
and I also see Antwerp, and then I see a lot of people from New York. So it's Mamish Yidin from all over the world, Czechoslovakia. Wow, is this your first time here? Okay, it's a pleasure to have you. You grew up in Lipstadt? I, I, grew up, I grew up in Silesia on the frontier with Poland and uh, Slovakia and Moravia. But I married to my husband who, who works in Lipstadt. Wow. So you live in Lipstadt? Yes, and we are part, he's not from Lipstadt, he's from Pardubice, and we are members of Prague Scala. Wow, amazing. So how did you find out about these classes? On YouTube. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay, beautiful. Thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you, Rina, and thank you everybody else for being here. It's an honor and a privilege to have everybody here. I wish you all an amazing day and a beautiful Shabbos. Everybody have a beautiful day. And happy birthday to Zalman. You should have an amazing year. A healthy year. You're turning 18. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Wow. I remember when I was 17. Yeah. It's a great age. It's a great age. Ratzay and Shoiv. Full power. Ratzay and Shoiv. Full power. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.